0: Hello, guys, and welcome to another episode of a Brother's Creed podcast, where we talk about motivation, experiences, and we explore what the world has to offer. I'm Jared. I'm Ethan. And today we have a great episode. We're going to talk about Christmas stuff. This episode's coming out right before Christmas, and so we figured we're in the festive mood. Might as well talk about some cool traditions and some Christmas stories um, to lighten your heart this, this holiday season. Let's do it.
1: You can't climb the ladder of success with your hands in the pocket. We will not go quietly into the night. They tell me you're a manly, true grit.
0: I am the one who knocks.
1: Don't ever tell me what I can't do, ever!
0: That's how winning is done!
1: Alright, everybody, welcome. Um... I, I really like this time of year. Uh, it, I do too. It, it it just seems like everybody this time of year seems like they're a little bit nicer. Uh, they're a little bit kinder to each other, more generous and loving. And it just seems uh, there's just something in the air that's um, that, that's good. People seem more thankful um, during Thanksgiving and Christmas Christmas season. So definitely. Um, today we're going to be talking about some, like Jared said, some of the, uh, some, some of our favorite stories about Christmas as well as some uh, traditions and things that we uh, like about uh, Christmas itself. Uh, maybe some things that our families have done, some things that we've heard of or seen done that, that we think are, uh, are kind of cool. So um, I want to start off with I am not a huge gift person. Um, it's not your love language yeah my wife has been known to call me a Grinch <laughs> sometimes oh um, because uh, it's better than an Ebenezer Scrooge I guess that's true yeah well so so this is my thing about gifts right I mean lots of people um, basically Christmas can mean lots of different things for a lot of different people but um, when it comes to giving gifts I just get stressed out. And because it's like, I want to get somebody the perfect thing and I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend the money to get you something that you don't want.
0: Well, there's a difference between buying gifts for your wife and buying gifts for a guy. That is true. I've bought you several gifts and I'm like, Ethan would love this shirt or Ethan would love this. And it's so easy. I just know that like, oh, anything with
1: Rambo on it's going to (laughs)
0: work. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, this is of course, Ethan would love this. But like when I'm buying for my wife, I also feel the same thing. That's why most of my wife does most of the Christmas shopping, even for herself. Um, but it's kind of just like, I don't want to buy the wrong thing or the wrong color. And then it kind of kills the magic of Christmas. She's just like, I'll send you my Amazon list and you just click buy. I'm like, okay. You know, so she actually does a lot of that and kind of at the point of our marriage where it's just like, she's okay with that. And like, I'm like, okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think it's, It's just interesting. A lot of times, too, is that um, you know, it's uh, what 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 Caitlin and I have tried to do is do um, like experiences to potentially surprise each other instead of like specific things. Because if there's something that we like really want, then like we'll just we'll just buy it if we can um so yes yeah. yeah, so so the Christmas time we just we just got into to gifts talking about uh, just right off but um it, it leads into my first to my story okay, So that, that's yeah. why that's why I brought that yeah, up but ahead. uh you know Christmas uh, can really bring things from from religious peace and, and and understanding and love and and generosity to uh you know for some people Christmas is maybe more about uh family and and gift giving um and, and different things like that so, uh, w- what I really wanted to, to talk about first is, um, one of my favorite Christmas stories. And, uh, this Christmas story, everyone's probably heard it several times, but it's called The Gift of the Magi. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so the Gift of the Magi, basically, um, and, and there's several different accounts, but they're all pretty much the same. Um, it was a short story written by um, the writer uh, O. Henry, who was the pen name of uh, William Sidney Porter. Um, but he wrote this in, in December t- on December tenth, nineteen 1905. so it's, it's been several years. Uh, but the story tells of uh, a young married couple, Jim, and uh, his wife, uh, Della Dilling- Dillingham. And the couple were very poor. um they they did not have us well, they weren't poor, right the 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 uh, the story said they were very poor, but I go the Dave Ramsey way. Poor is a state of mind. They were Indeed. broke. They were broke. <laughs> they didn't have any money, right? They were broke. They were living in a um just a, a tiny apartment that it was it it, it uh, was was leaking and run down.
0: And um, Sounds like but, my uh, college apartment.
1: Yeah, they really didn't have money uh, to, to be able to give each other gifts for Christmas. The, the two most prized possessions that they had was uh, Jim had a gold pocket watch that belonged to his father and then his grandfather before him, and he really treasured that. And Della ha- had a beautiful... Um, like knee length hair, so that was um. I mean, it was like her pride and joy. Obviously, hair that long would take lots of care and and um, an effort. So That's like a
0: hundred dollars in shampoo a month.
1: I, well, <laughs> I yeah, that, I didn't even think about that. Actually, but yeah.
0: the more shampoo, actually, you're not supposed to use that much shampoo. It actually damages your hair. So a lot of women don't shampoo their hair every day. I don't shampoo my hair every day. You don't? Not usually. I do.
1: I don't know. I get, that's going to get
0: luscious locks. Anyway, all right.
1: that's off topic. Um, so uh, it was Christmas Eve and uh, Della was kind of running around trying to find out what she was going to get for Jim for Christmas. Um, after paying all the bills, there was only a dollar and 87 cents left to put towards a Christmas present for Jim. Um, obviously, she wanted to get him something special. She loved him and she cared about him. She knew how hard that he worked and and trying to to uh, care for for her and, and, and the family. Um, so desperate to find him the perfect gift, she she went out um, one night, one cold evening, and, and was going to go to the store and try to find something to buy with her dollar and eighty seven cents. So, um, the thing that she wanted to buy him most was a Chain for his pocket watch um, that he cherished so much, but obviously it was way out of her price range. Um, so what she what she decided to do um, was she she kind of got this inspiration that she should that she could sell her hair, her knee length hair, to be able to fund uh, the purchase of this gift for Jim. So she went and she went to a, a, a barber and she sold her hair, cut her hair, and sold it for $20. Um, and, I mean, in that time, this was written in 1905, so that was a, a decent amount of money. Um, so now she had, you know, almost $22 to her name. And she went to this shop and she bought uh, Jim a platinum chain for his uh, pocket watch. And she ran home just extremely excited, you know, sad, obviously, that her luscious hair was gone, but um, but so excited that she was able to to get something special for her husband. Um so she went home, she started making dinner, um, you know, putting everything together and wrapped the gift. But when Jim came home for work, he walked in the door and kind of stared at Della and and um I was trying to figure out what what's What's different about about you? And uh, obviously he recognized that all, all of your hair is gone. Um, and she said that she she quickly said, I, I sold my hair to buy you this present. Um, and uh, she went to give this gift to Jim, and Jim pulls out his present, and he gives it to her instead and says, Here, look at this first. Um, and... The package that he gave her was his his Christmas present. So she opened it up and she found uh, it was a it was a pair of really expensive uh, combs that could be used huh. for uh, you know her long luscious hair. Um, and you know she immediate, immediately immediately um, you know started crying because obviously she had cut off all of her hair. Um, so she gives the package to her, the present to to Jim, and and Jim opens it up and he looks at it and he just kind of like falls back in his chair um, because he he realizes um, you know that she got him a chain for his watch. Well, he sits down on the couch and he looks at her and he says, "Well, I sold my watch to pay for your combs." Um, so. The, the end of the story, basically, they, they decide just to put the gifts down and have dinner together and, um, you know, just spend time with each other. But I really like that story just because of the irony that goes into it. Um, now, we kind of started talking about gifts, and th- it might seem at first that the meaning of this story is just to talk about, like, ironic uh, materialism. But it goes a lot further than that for me. For me, it's not about the gifts at all. It's about um, the underlying principle behind them. Uh, it might seem foolish that she cut her hair off to buy the thing and the, to to buy the chain, and then he sold his his prized, um, you know, watch from his father and grandfather to get the combs, but. For me, the underlying story was that they sacrificed something that they loved for each other, for the other person. Yeah, and that sacrifice really, to me, um, is is a perfect comparison or reflection upon the the Christmas season itself, and um, basically the uh, you can compare it to the birth of Christ and the gifts that were brought to. Uh, him by the wise men or it could even be the gift of um you know the gift from the father of giving us the son or the gift of of christ and the many things uh that he has done for us in our lives that um you know we call them gifts and and um, treasures but really it goes so much deeper that it's personal sacrifice from one person to another and that's why i, I love that christmas story
0: that's a great story i still so cute between two couples you know and i bet they just kind of had a laugh after the after that they're just kind of like man this is hilarious Let's go, let's go pawn all this and just go yeah i was like go i give mean me something fun you know yeah
1: seriously <laughs> well, she's probably thinking well my hair will grow back it might take several years but it'll grow back and then he's probably thinking
0: oh but, I, I need to get my watch back but you're absolutely right it's just like they sold their prized possession to get them to sacrifice for the other person it's just Kind of cool that they both. It's like the opposite of the Pina Colada song. You know that song? You know, It's, no. like, it's like, if you like Pina Colada. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he's, He is looking in the paper and he sees an ad of uh, someone that's like, you know, if if you're not into yoga, if you have a brain. And then he's like, oh, yeah. And so he goes to the bar to meet this girl, ends up being his wife. And so they were both kind of upset with it and like tired of their marriage. But then they ended up like falling in love again because. I do remember that. It's like the opposite of that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly. The, it's the same opposite.
0: End of the story is the same. Though they both fall in love. They they both come together again. Uh, but that is a good Christmas story. I I have always appreciated that one, and it kind of makes you think about how meaningful is this gift uh, that I'm giving. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, and they don't always the gifts don't always have to be material things. You know, they can be time or you know quality time or service i think service is a huge thing too that can be gifted that um you know is is a a a present in and
0: of itself giving your time to help someone else totally yeah well i had had one story that uh i've always kind of liked um many people have heard about it but i i kind of dug into a little bit deeper and, and found some cool stuff um it's the story about the the piece uh on Christmas Eve uh, in World War One, where the soldiers came together and did stuff, uh, played soccer and traded stuff. Uh, that, was a, that was a cool story. There's some videos on it about you, on YouTube. There's a song about it, uh, which is really cool. But I just wanted to dig in a little bit more into that and ex- explain kind of more of the details there. Um, the year was 1914, so it was just a little bit into the war. And at this point in the war... The War of Maneuver had basically ended and everybody had started trenching in. And so uh, the trenches in some cases were were as as close as 50 yards apart. And so you have all these men in these trenches and they would actually frequently yell over things to each other like greetings or, hey, how's it going? What's the news? Um, Some of the Germans had actually lived in England London particularly, and they were familiar with English, and so they would yell over and say, "Hey, you know, how's the soccer team doing?" And uh, they would ask about football. They would ask about sports leagues. Uh, in fact, in some cases, they would talk about the weather, or they would talk about uh, ask the other side to send messages to their sweethearts uh, in London. And so, it's crazy that you're so close to someone that you want to kill, uh, but. You're having a conversation with them
1: that you're supposed to kill. Maybe yeah. they didn't particularly want to kill them, but
0: yeah, that's exactly that's exactly it. And and so the interesting about the it's such a strange war. You know, you're just trenched in, and then you're, these guys are 50 yards away, and you can hear everything they're saying or everything they're doing. So in the, in the Christmas of 1914, now this is right towards the beginning of the war. Uh, it there was roughly. Uh, 100,000 British and German troops were involved in the informal cessations of hostility along the Western Front. So the Western Front was from basically Switzerland all the way up um, uh, to the sea, uh, basically through France. And uh, the Eastern Front was along kind of where Ukraine is. Uh, So the Western Front, um, it's interesting that Uh, it wasn't just like everybody at the same time. In some places, they had these treaties. In some places, they didn't. Uh, And it's pretty cool. There were a a lot of accounts from that uh, that some of these truces truces lasted just Christmas Day and night, and some of them continued to New Year's Day. So they're just hanging out with each other and talking and chatting and swapping stuff. And I want to read some of the different accounts here That are just really cool from people that lived through that. Uh, One of them was uh, Captain Robert Miles, uh, who was the King's uh, Shropshire Light Infantry, uh, who was attached to the Royal Irish Rifles. And this was in 1914. It was published in a paper. Uh, And he said, uh, Friday, Christmas Day, we are having the most extraordinary Christmas Day imaginable. That's pretty cool. A, a sort of unarranged and quite unauthorized, but perfectly understood and scrupulously observed truce truce exists between us and our friends in front. The funny thing is, it only seems to exist in parts of the battle line. On our right, left, and left, we can hear them firing away as cheerful as ever. Uh, The thing started last night, a bitter cold night, with white frost. Soon after dusk, when the Germans started shouting, Merry Christmas, Englishmen, to us, of course our fellows shouted back, and presently large numbers of both sides had left their trenches unarmed and met in in the debatable, shot-riddled, no man's land between the lines. Here the argument, all on their own, came to be made that we should not fire at each other until after midnight tonight. Then we're all fraternizing in the middle. We naturally did not allow them too close to our line and swapped cigarettes and lies in the most utmost good fellowship. Not a shot was fired that night. I thought that was kind of cool how he said that they're in the middle of the no man's land. Shots are being fired on, you know, down the, the way they can hear cannons and mortars and... Uh, guns going off, but right there on the line, it was it was it was peaceful. Uh, another German, he said. This guy, same guy, said of the Germans, they are distinctly bored with the war. And this is just right at the beginning. In fact, one of them wanted to know what on earth we were doing here fighting them. The truce in that in that sector continued into Boxing Day, which is the day after Christmas. Um, he uh, commented about the Germans. Uh, the beggars simply disregarded all our warnings to get down from their parapet, which is the top of the trench. Uh, so things are at a deadlock. And he said, "We can't shoot them in cold blood. I cannot see how we can get them to return to business." <laughs> so it's almost like these guys are coming out and just like we're done. We we don't want to fight. We just want to hang out. And like tell us about everything and they just want to talk. And they want to play soccer and they want to you know trade cards and trade buttons and and uh, they're like, okay, uh, get back to business. Go back behind your trench line so we can actually start shooting you because I'm not going to just shoot you when you're standing out here trying to play soccer with me.
1: <laughs> can you just imagine like yelling across it to a buddy you
0: just met and a friend? You're just like, hey,
1: put your head down. I can see you. you know, it's just like.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's wild. Um, some of the other guys uh, who, who also um, talked about this, there were some other interesting quotes. This one guy, uh, Bruce Bairn's father, uh, he said i wouldn't have missed that unique and weird christmas for anything i spotted a german officer some sort of lieutenant i should think and being a bit of a collector i intimidated to him and uh, that i had taken a fancy to some of his buttons i bought a, i he says i brought out my wire clippers and with a few deft snips removed a couple of his buttons and put them in my pocket i then gave him two of mine in exchange The last I saw was of one of my machine gunners, who was a bit of an amateur hairdresser in civil life, cutting the unnaturally long hair of a docile Balchi, which is from one of the countries, uh, who was patiently kneeling on the ground whilst the automatic clippers crept back up the back of his neck. So these guys are cutting each other's hair. It's wild, man. And so it's just like these guys were out there and they're just like, you know what? We're right here together on the front lines, just mere yards from each other. Uh, one of these, another one of the stories here, uh, there's an Englishman who says, he writes his mother and he's like, guess what? I'm, I'm hanging out in this trench right now. And he's like, I've got tobacco in my pipe, but guess what? It's German tobacco. And you might think that I pulled this off a dead German, but he said, I didn't. I traded it with a live German it's the best Christmas ever. We're all hanging out right now. We're doing it. He's like, and he ends it saying marvelous, isn't it? And so I thought that was such a cool, uh, uh, some cool s- stories from people that were actually there. Uh, and the truce in some cases, uh, like I said, they they went on for a longer time. Uh, the, obviously a lot of the military leadership did not like these men were calling these truces. Uh, in fact, uh, they said that these types of things should stop. Uh, Adolf Hitler, who was a corporal in the 16th Bavarian Reserve Infantry, was against him, against uh, fraternizing with the enemy. Why am I not surprised? Yeah, exactly. And so one of the company commanders who led a short truce w- to allow each side to um, go get their dead and bury their dead, he actually was court-martialed. His name was Sir Ian I'm going to butcher his last name, so a uh, of the Scots Grand, of the Scots Guard, excuse me, and he was court-martialed and found guilty and reprimanded, but his punishment was annulled by the general and it, probably because his wife's uncle was the prime minister, H.H. <laughs> H. Ashworth of the Great Britain at the time, so they're like, oh, let's not punish this guy. <laughs> it pays to know high-up people. Exactly. If you know he's like, dude, do you know who my uncle is? I can do whatever I want, um, but yeah, they were really trying to stomp that out, and and there was a few, and the Christmas of there was a few more treaties and stuff in the Christmas of nineteen fifteen, uh, but by that after that, really it stopped because people got really bitter with the war, and it, you know once you see someone of your friends die, you just kind of really demonize the, the other side, and um, that can be really hard. Uh, to to have something die when you're friends and then be like fraternizing with people you know on a truce so one of the things that was interesting it said uh, complicated though I, I, I read what says it talked about the complicated local truces so sometimes along the front and agreements not to fire at each other were negotiated by men along the the uh, along the front of the war and these often began with an agreement not to attack each other at tea or meal and washing times. In some places, tactic agreements became so common that sectors of the front would see few casualties for extended periods of time. This system, uh, Ashworth, the guy who wrote a book about this, argues gave soldiers some control over their conditions of their existence. So if you think about it, what we said earlier is they don't want to shoot people. If they're Having truces, it was like, hey, you know, it's lunchtime. Let's just chill, you know. And they're like, okay, no. And then the the deaths from each other, from the other side, from gunfire or whatever, were very low in some cases. And that kind of reminded me of something that I had heard earlier uh, about men at war. And there was a an analysis done by a guy named uh, Brigadier General Samuel. Lyman Atwood Marshall and he was a military analyst in World War II and he said that in a squad of 10 men on average fewer than three ever fired their weapon in combat and he said that um, a lot of these guys uh, don't want to kill somebody he said uh, the fear of aggression has been expressed to him so strongly and absorbed by him so deeply and pervade Pervadingly, practically his own mother's milk. He talks about a fear of aggression in, in, in Americans and, and in men generally. Uh, that it is part of our normal man's emotion emotional way, makeup. This is the great handicap when he, he enters combat. It stays him. It stays his fi- trigger finger, even though he is hardly conscious that it is a re- restraint upon him. So he that guy quoted that that figure. That three out of 10 men ever fired. That's a disputed figure. Uh, another place, uh, another study said that only 15 to 20% of soldiers fired their weapon and an even smaller percentage fired to kill. So I think there's one scene in band of brothers where they're like, he's like fire. And they're like, and they're just shooting the tree line above. And he's like, what the heck is going on? You know, cause the, the soldiers don't want to kill anybody. They just, so they're shooting the tree line up above. Uh, the U.S. Army obviously had an issue with this because they're like, well, if we're sending 100 men out and only 20% are shooting, that's a very inefficient force, you know. And so, uh, you know, the article that I was reading said that the Army changed its combat training to try to desensitize soldiers to the humanity of the enemy. Uh, and then these new trainings apparently in uh, the Korean War made it so that 55% of infantrymen fired their weapons. And then in the Vietnam War, it, was, it changed to 90 to 95%. Uh, and if, if you think about it, and that and the reason why I bring this up is because in World War One these guys were just feet from each other. And they were talking, they were having trues, they were trading and stuff. So that's the whole piece, the whole war itself hinges on you wanting to kill the other side. Uh, for some reason. So if you're friends with the other side, if you can't dehumanize the other side, then it, it makes it very difficult to kill to kill the people. And so I, I thought that that was interesting in the context of the story of the Christmas truce and how, uh, you know, just war affects men generally.
1: Yeah, th- th- that's really interesting. Um, and it's also kind of interesting that, you know, that, that was World War I, right? And so... You know these guys from World War One, and that was at the beginning of the war. But once they get through, um, the the end of the war, more towards the end of the war, they just kind of get more bitter. And then how many years after that was World War Two, and then it just kind of it it was just kind of war after war after war. And I I wonder if that, um, just the the constant state of world war to a certain extent, played into. Played into that figure going up of of the the infantrymen actually uh, you know firing their weapon and not only firing
0: but firing to to kill. Um, I wonder, yeah, I wonder if it has to do with the difference. Like someone that looks and speaks totally different from you, it's easier to dehumanize them than someone that you can have a conversation with that looks exactly like you do and talks exactly like you do.
1: Yeah, that's true. And so in, maybe
0: maybe at the time it's like, hey, these guys are speaking English to me, and I can speak to them. But like when you're in the Korean War, and they look different than you, and they speak different than you, or you're in Vietnam, it's easier to dehumanize them and just, you know, yeah, be a yeah. weapon of war.
1: That's very true. But uh, going back to the story itself, I I love that story. I think it um, just kind of brings back to um, basic human nature. I think is to kind of love one another yeah I mean, you don't you don't want to hurt another person but in self-defense or in times of of war and defending your country in the weak then it's necessary um but I mean that story I really like the song uh, yeah that goes to that song. story it's just kind of it, it just kind of brings your spirit together to say that in the midst of such darkness that light can can prevail. Yeah,
0: and like they started with singing Christmas carols. And they just were kind of like, they were brought together in common cause. And and they also had similar treaties on Easter uh, that, uh, you know, they said, you know, this something is more important is going on right now. Let's take a break. Let's take a pause. Generals didn't like that. But the men were like, you yeah, know, we're taking a pause. We're yeah. going to do this. So I think it's kind of special.
1: Yeah, I, I, and I bet that, situation probably led to you know the soldiers that were there and participated in these kind of situations um and treaties and 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 christmas or easter or new year's i wonder if when they took that back to their to their own towns or their own homes years later that they kind of instilled that same type of tradition into their own families and their own you know kind of peace with enemies
0: yeah. yeah love on earth and peace towards men, right? Yeah, for sure. Uh,
1: it, that kind of reminded me of um, just talking about some of the traditions that we have um, put together as far as like our family and growing up and um, some of these not so much Christmas tradition uh, traditions but maybe even holiday traditions. Um, and I think a lot of it stems specifically, to start off with is from just like uh, that that attitude of gratitude like we talked about, right? You know, for Thanksgiving, we talked about gratitude and its importance and why why it's needed. Um, one thing that, that Jared and I, growing up, that we would always do um, is, you know, we would always have Thanksgiving dinner together, but we would, at the end of dinner, we would all go around and we would all say what we were thankful for. I think a lot of families do similar traditions like that. But we'd go around and we'd, we'd say everything that we're thankful for and and that made us happy. And, and it was a great time for us to connect personally as as a family, brothers and sisters.
0: And light sisters. a candle as we did it.
1: Yeah, and we'd light a candle as we did it. Um, and then for, for Christmas, we would do something similar, um, but we would do what, what we call like our our gifts to Christ right we would go around the table and we would all say something that we had planned for that next year uh, you know maybe you could say it's like a new year's uh, resolution or whatever but but we thought of it as these are our gifts to Christ this is what we are willing to do to become better next year and that could be anything from reading the scriptures more or um, maybe doing more service and helping people when the opportunity presents itself, or maybe it's um, taking better care of our physical bodies and in our, in our mind. Um, so it, it could be anything, but I loved that tradition that we did of going around and saying, you know, this is what I'm thankful for. And then towards Christmas time to say, this is what my contribution to society is going to be. Um, so that
0: something that, that I really liked. Yeah, I do like that tradition as well. You know, to keep that going, and and we also read re- we typically read the Christmas story on on Christmas Eve. Um, one tradition that I've always kind of liked. Well, I I discovered it when I was on my on my on a mission to Mexico, uh, where I spent two years, and they have a tradition there called uh, Dia de Reyes Magos. Do they they have that in Chile? Right? I'm not sure. Well, what it is, is uh, on, it's also, in English it's called the Epiphany Day. It's usually January 6th, and what it's, like they also kind of refer to as a little Christmas, Uh, but it's uh, Dia de los Reyes Magos, or the three kings. And what it is, is it's a commemoration of when the three kings came and uh, came to Jesus and presented them with their gifts. And so, uh, in some cultures, I think this is more of a, Started in, It's all over the world, but I think it's pretty big in Spain and Latin American culture. But it's also uh, has roots in England and, and in France, Germany. Uh, but what it is is that, you know, in some places the kids will put out their their shoes with some candies and stuff in them, and the, the raised magos will come, and the three kings will come, and they'll put presents in there and buy their shoes and stuff. And I think that that is such a cool tradition um, because. I think it focuses a little bit more on Christ and that story than Santa does. Uh, I think sometimes with Santa, it kind of gets a little bit away from the story of Christ, and it can get, you know, when you're talking about reindeer and the North Pole and flying reindeer and, like, elves and all this kind of stuff, that has nothing to do with with Christ at all. Uh, But when we talk about uh, the three kings and how they brought gifts to Christ— I feel like that's a little more understandable and a little translatable to a Christmas. Uh, also, there's another. There's a couple more traditions that go with that. Uh, there is a, on the day of July, January 16th, or, or excuse me, January 6th, uh, which is the Three Kings Day, they usually do a cake. It's called a roscón de reyes. So it's like a circular cake, and uh, it's... Uh, And you can cut into it, and there's actually, they hide a little baby Jesus figure. It's like a little plastic baby Jesus. They hide it in the cake somewhere. And it's actually to represent uh, Christ being hidden uh, as they, uh, the flight of the Holy Family, fleeing King Herod's uh, massacre of the innocents. So it's kind of a cool symbolism there that Christ was being hidden uh, as they fled that area and all those other kids were, were died. And so and then there's some fun traditions where, uh, you know, if you cut into the cake and you get the piece that has the baby Jesus in it, then on February 2nd, uh, which is a, another day where, uh, you know, Christ was presented at the temple, you know, the, the different traditions had different things where they say, you have to have everybody over to your house for another, for a party and you have to make all the atole and all the tamales, which are labor intensive. Uh, and so it's kind of like your turn to do the party. Uh, but also it could mean, you know, that you're the one that has to take the baby Jesus to to church and, uh, kind of present Christ to the temple uh, as a symbol. That's interesting. You know, at work
1: several years ago, um, there was a guy that brought in a cake around that time, and we all had it, and it had like you know a little baby in it, and I didn't completely understand what that was, but it's just like <laughs> oh okay yeah now I get it you know, and it was like a big deal of like who got the baby, and I didn't, but uh,
0: yeah, it's I mean that's kind of cool tradition, yeah, and I didn't actually know about the whole um, symbolism behind you know the flight of the uh, of the family during the massacre of the innocents, uh, but I thought that's I think that's a cool. Uh, little symbolism there. And so I, I don't particularly do that uh, with my family. My kids are still really little, but I, I think that is a cool tradition. And in my family, we kind of minimize the uh, the focus on Santa as much as possible. In my family, we just do... Uh, Santa just brings us stockings and, and that's it. And, and really, we don't talk about Santa hardly at all. I mean, the thing is, it's hard to Really make a hard shift uh, away from it because all their friends and everybody is really focused on Santa. So we we were like, okay, we can't just be like, we only do this. You know, I I believe we could, but I don't want to be such a stickler about it. So we say, yeah, Santa comes and he'll he'll give you your stockings. But really, um, the focus is on Christmas. And when we decorate the tree together, we talk about the um, the star and what the star means. We talk about what the what the what the Christmas tree lights mean and like there's lights because Christ is the light of the world and. And uh, that's why we have these lights, and that's why. What are these for? What does this represent? What does the tree represent? So that's kind of a, a family tradition of ours.
1: Yeah, that's great. I, um, it's interesting. You know, one thing that um, that we have we have small kids too, and so it's we're we're trying to form these traditions in in our family. And uh, one thing that my wife does is is that typically around the Christmas. Time we try to uh, invite a family over to our house that maybe doesn't have any uh, relatives locally, or that they're going to be spending Christmas uh, not alone because they're they're together, but uh, maybe away from the rest of their family. We try to invite them over and have a dinner and just uh, befriend somebody. Um, When I was on my mission, there was a a a guy that was he was just an awesome guy, and um, we we really loved being around him because he was just kind of that guy that did anything for, for service. But, um, he had kids that were a little bit older, but one of the things that he would do on Christmas Eve, uh, night is that they would make a whole dinner, um, of, you know, a whole Christmas dinner and then they would package it all up after they spent, you know, the, 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 day making this dinner, um, they would package it all up and they would get in the car and they would drive around town until they found um, someone who was uh, homeless or in need typically in the town that we were that they were in it wasn't that hard um, and especially there was there was groups of people that um, kind of congregated together that, that uh, did not have homes or, or, or that were um, uh, homeless so basically he, they, they would come uh, they would sit down with um these people that were less fortunate and they would actually like eat with them i mean he would bring no, uh, really. like yeah he'd bring like a table and paper plates and and cups and drinks and i mean everything i mean they would literally just they would feed as many people as they possibly could um and they would and more than just like giving a, ba- a bag and leaving it was they would sit down with them they would talk with them they would um you know just talk about life and 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 growth and and how they're feeling and how they're doing and it was just a good example, uh, to me. Not that I'm gonna do that specific service, but uh, for him and his family in that area, uh, it worked really well.
0: Well, if you th- if you think about th- that area, there's not a lot of public services, where those people like. It's not like there's a. I mean, not in the United States. We're blessed that a lot of times there are lots of homes and lots of churches that that reach out to a lot of these people, especially during the Christmas season. And there are places where they can go and get a meal. Uh, our tax money goes to pay for a lot of these places. But in, in places like Chile, you're on your own, man. And if like the government doesn't care about you. Yeah.
1: And another thing to note, too, it's interesting. In Chile, it's on the southern hemisphere, so it's the middle of the summer during yeah. Christmas. So Christmas is the middle of the summer. And so it, it's kind of interesting because it's really hot and it's like, you know, everybody's outside. Yeah. It's versus crazy. cold here and, and everybody's kind of staying inside around the fire. But yeah, that was interesting.
0: Yeah, that is weird. But good story. Very very good story of service. And I think the message here, what we want to share is that Christmas is a time of hope and a time of charity and giving. And so whether that's working that working those attributes into a part of your tradition, uh, I would encourage you to do that. And try to find someone that that needs uh, that love uh, and and charity this Christmas season and also try i would i would encourage you to try to focus on the true meaning of Christmas and sometimes all the consumerism all the gifts all the all that nonsense gets in the way but maybe take a pause with your children and and talk about what Christmas is truly means and the gift that was given to us and how important and special that actually was. Yeah,
1: I, th- I think that plays right into building a personal creed. Uh, who do you want to be? Um, not only during the Christmas or holiday season, but how will this translate to how you treat other people throughout the rest of the year, um, throughout your the rest of your life? And I really think that we can instill some of these practices of service and love and hope uh, into our own personal creed um, to continue to develop and grow stronger together.
0: Absolutely. And if you think about it, that's what, I mean, these traditions that you're building, that's the legacy that you're giving for your family. Like if you, let's just say you start a tradition uh, and you're like, this is what we do in our family. We talk about Christ, uh, we, our gifts to Christ on Christmas, on Christmas Eve when we have dinner. And that is something that you pass down as a tradition, and, and then your kids will do that with their families, and it's like you're passing on your creed to your kids via a tradition. So I think that's just so important that those traditions are are basically habits of your beliefs that you can pass down. And some of them has some of them have nostalgia, and some of them, you know, are, are fun, and some of them, are, uh, but they can have meaning at the same time.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Well, this has been great. I think think this one was a great one So, um, you know, for those of you listening We we appreciate your time And, and, um, you know, please Like, leave a comment, leave a rating Let Uh, us
0: know what your Christmas traditions are Yeah,
1: for sure Uh, We'll be posting some things on Instagram as well You can follow us at a.brothers.creed And we'll be posting some about Maybe these traditions And and other cool things about the Christmas season
0: So have a very Merry Christmas And uh, let's build that creed together
1: All right, let's do it